You're listening to The Conservative Conscience. In Washington, politicians are full of half-truths and hot air. The Conservative Conscience is here to help you cut through the rhetoric and noise and explore the politically right way to think about the issues. You'll dive into one of the most insightful conservative minds in America. Conservative Review's senior editor, Daniel Horowitz. And along with co-host Joe Koss, they break down the major issues in Washington. You are now entering The Conservative Conscience. Welcome back to The Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, to kick off a new week here at The Conservative Review, Monday, July 10th. By now, everyone's back from their vacations, at least in the political world. And it's kind of funny, this has been really the first downtime I've noticed for an extended period of time, a week, a week and a half, um, since who knows when, since before the election, when it's actually been a slower news cycle less going on, but now things are really going to heat up. And one of the big things that did take place this past week uh, that a lot of conservative talk radio, conservative media has been buzzing about is President Trump's speech in Poland. And I want to focus on not so much the speech, but what the speech represents and how disjointed some of the actions are from the rhetoric and how it embodies this presidency and why that should be the focus of the conservative movement and the conservative media to connect Trump's rhetoric to policies and understand the disconnect. You know, this is widely um, being cast as the Western civilization speech. And, you know, everyone's very happy with it in the conservative world. Uh, hey, Daniel, what do you think of this speech? Wasn't that great? I mean, kind of like they said with the speech he gave in Saudi Arabia. And look, I mean, this is excellent. Anytime Stephen Miller writes a speech for him, especially with regard to Western civilization, it's great. I, I know Stephen Miller. Um, we used to be pretty close buddies when he was in Jeff Sessions' office. And uh, we overlap on most issues, you know, certainly as it relates to foreign policy, immigration, uh, Islam, it, it, it's it's good stuff. But what 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 tends to happen, and this is a cycle in this presidency, Trump will say something. He'll either give a speech, he'll do a, a tweet or something. The left will react to it. The media will react to it. And then we have two sides. We're all fighting. Oh, media, Trump. And here at Conservative Review, too many of us can't help ourselves but actually focus on what is actually happening. What is happening in the various agencies and departments within the Trump administration to affect those issues? What's happening in Congress? What's happening in the judiciary? What's happening in the state governments? We focus on all that here. And then look in totality where this Republican Party, headed by Trump now, whether you like it or not, where it's headed on these issues. And when you put that together, you get a very different picture of what is going on, what's important on a given day, and what's meaningful to discuss. And, and th th this was a great speech. But I want to remind you of something Trump said in his inaugural address that he actually echoed and he reiterated in this, uh, in this speech, if I remember correctly, the dichotomy between actions and words. Trump said in his, uh, you know, January 20th at the inauguration, quote, we will no longer accept politicians who are all talk and no action, 
constantly complaining but never doing anything about it. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. In this speech, he must have mentioned the word West and civilization, you know, number of times, um, talked about the shared values of Poland, keeping civilization together, fighting against Islamic terror. And he said, there were a lot of, I think, very memorable lines. One of the things he said was the fundamental question of our time is whether the West has the will to survive. Do we have the confidence in our values to defend them at any cost? Do we have enough respect for our citizens to protect our borders? Do we have the desire and the courage to preserve our civilization in the face of those who would subvert and destroy it? I mean, I, I couldn't have said it any better. That is the question. The fundamental difference between realist conservatives, constitutional conservatives, biblical conservatives, and either the neoconservatives, the liberals, Obama, the foreign policy establishment, is, is this. Is there a clash of civilization between the West and Islam? Period. That is the question. The answer to that is going to determine what you do on foreign policy. It's going to determine what you do on immigration. It's going to determine what you do on homeland security policy, on the Muslim Brotherhood, on, you know, just... FBI policy with dealing with with surveilling mosques and everything. I mean, everything comes down to that. Almost everyone in politics believes that the problem is ISIS, which was created just a few years ago, or a few extremists, and that it doesn't run any deeper in the civilization. So hence, that's why you're going to get involved in all these Islamic civil wars, because the problem is just let's get rid of ISIS in Syria and get rid of Assad, get rid of Saddam Hussein, Get rid of the Taliban in, in Afghanistan. We have we're, we're great. We're good to go because they don't see a problem fundamental fundamentally in the culture. And that's also why you're going to say bring in refugees, bring in the Islamic world. Let's just make sure that no one's a member of ISIS. You know, and lo, lo and behold, many of them will become members of various groups because they share that subversive ideology. So that that's the fundamental question of our time. And Trump really identified it very well in this speech. Numerous places. I mean, I, I, I'm trying to just skim through it, but there's a lot of other really good lines. And he talked about family values. He, he, and, and, you know, he talked about the fact that the West has values. Well, gee, I'd love to see some family values from your administration. <laughs> I mean, this is the problem. I, I can't point to almost any sphere of policy where this administration has consistently followed the rhetoric of this speech of his inaugural address, standing up for the forgotten man against the elites, against the rich and the powerful. Um, you know, a lot of it's the status quo. And I, I, I look at a speech like this and I laugh it off given what many of us see in the National Security Council. Now, I think they're all a problem. Mattis is a problem. Tillerson is a problem. Kelly at DHS is a problem. But the biggest, the single biggest cancer as it relates to foreign policy, as it relates particularly to this question of is this a civilization clash or not, is H.R. McMaster, his national security advisor. He runs the NSC, and they pretty much play point on all these issues. And I personally didn't attend, but my deputy attended an off-the-record meeting 
for conservatives at the NSC, and it was an utter disaster. Issue after issue, it was very clear that either almost everyone is an Obama person or like an establishment foreign policy type. And the few that share our values are either marginalized or do not want to be marginalized. So therefore, they just apologize for everything and just don't do anything. When it comes to Syria, literally continuing Obama's policies. You know, that's what our guys have heard from them. Um, You know, I I can't speak to to some of the specific things off the record. Uh, There's also, I mean, what is it? You want to talk about a clash of civilization, the canary in the coal mine, the... The foundation of this is Israel. That's where it all started, with the so-called Palestinian Arabs. That's where modern-day jihad started, with the PLO and Arafat and his deputy, Abbas. How could you tell me you recognize a clash of civilizations like, let's create a Palestinian state, and just obsess about it, obsess about saying Israel can't build and give the PLO money, and Tillerson lies about you know, them cutting off payments to terrorists when they double down on it. I can't ignore that. His administration is not following the policies of the speech. And he either doesn't know or is too dumb or too inept or doesn't really believe in it enough to make sure that everyone's on the same page and no one's on the same page. So with regard to the, the guy at NSC who is responsible for the portfolio overseeing Israel. And by the way, he he proudly calls it, so this guy Bauman, he proudly calls himself, he said it at the meeting, I'm in charge of the portfolio over Israel and Palestine. He uses that word. Um, this guy Bauman is literally a Hamas apologist. Um, our, our buddy, our foreign policy guy here, Jordan Schachtel, has written a bunch of articles on that. Um, but Chris Bauman... Um, this guy is a, a, a serious problem. I mean, this is like a J Street dude. I mean, really pro-Hamas guy. Clash of civilizations? I mean, you tell me. This is really frustrating. On fu- there, there, is, there is nobody within this administration to sustain and convert the rhetoric into sustainable policies that will actually make such a dream come to fruition of these shared values with Eastern European countries to fight jihad. They don't believe in it. H.R. McMaster, I mean, these people believe in that, that we're going to work with our Muslim allies to, to uh, root out the extremists. So therefore we're going to get involved in Syria. We're going to get involved in Iraq. We're going to get involved in Yemen and Somalia and Afghanistan, bring in more refugees. It's not, you know, Trump has slowed it down, but, you know, you got Tillerson yelping out there. You got McMaster in the long run pushing for it. Um, Kelly is horrible on immigration. They don't shit. This is the point of contention. Matt, even Matt Mattis, too. They don't believe this is a clash of civilization. And they think it's harmful to talk like that. So every once in a while, Stephen Miller, Stephen Miller has influence over speeches, but he clearly is not having influence over converting them into policies. So it's like everyone's sitting and arguing, oh, you know, so the the media says, oh, this is racist to talk about Western civilization. You mean white people. You know, and then obviously conservatives defend them. And I have no problem, you know, talking about that, defending it and defending the speech. But I'm just saying, 
I, I look at, <laughs> I have a friend of mine who's at NSC, and um, one friend looks like whatever. I'm not going to say if it's a he or a she. I'll call the per- individual an id is going to leave. Another individual told me he was at a meeting with 40 guys. He said 35 of them were Obama people. The rest were like, I guess, establishment Republican type of people. And I was the only conservative in the room. None of the campaign people are there. They're all pushed out. McMaster's consolidated power. He pushed out a couple more people. Um, another individual that was, it was very problematic this week. And then, and then look, I see, you know, another, another problem I have is, you know, and I can't avert my eyes from this. I'm sorry. Maybe we'll have an article. I, I just, I don't have time to put it out, but yeah, but Rashid Hussein, Rashad Hussein, um, and a Muslim Brotherhood guy who was in the Obama administration, he's now at DOJ's national security division. What, what you know, you have Muslim Brotherhood people still at DHS. We haven't even designated the Muslim Brotherhood yet. You know, Trump, for the first time, spoke very tough on Russia and, and NATO and defending Poland. And it was, it was really good. It was our message. Here's the problem. The biggest problem with NATO is Turkey. The, you want to talk about subverting Western civilization from within. Turkey getting a foothold in NATO with Erdogan, the Islamo-Nazi, the chief Sunni Islamo-Nazi in the world, Right, he's the guy who gives that finger salute, the three finger salute, the Muslim Brotherhood salute. Um, after Morsi was thrown out in Egypt, he, um, uh, Erdogan, that is, is the is the lead Muslim Brotherhood guy. Um, you know, so a he has the foothold within NATO, and b he's funding mosques throughout Europe and America, and Trump is close with him. I mean, I, I just I understand this is three dimensional chess, and he's a million steps ahead of all of us. I get it, but. No, he's not. So my point is, this is not about criticizing Trump or loving Trump. This is about doing what's right. Getting some brains and values. You know, what's going on in the conservative movement, in the conservative media, is a crisis of intellect and a crisis of values, or both, depending on the person. Because if you have the intellect, you know what's going on, and if you have the values, you know you can't bend fundamentally on them. It's not just relative to what the Democrats are doing. Oh, I got to defend Trump from the Democrats. Well, yeah, but let's make sure what he's saying actually gets done. Action, action. I mean, Tr- Trump said it, by the way, in this speech as well. I just don't, I don't have the exact quote on, on me um, trying to, to, to dig it up here. But, you know, he, Trump made the best case against, um, against what, he's, what he's doing. Um, we're, here, here's this is from the Europe speech. Words are easy, but actions are what matters. And look, I, I, what am I supposed to do with that? And again, this is true. As we head into this week, healthcare is going to be the big issue. Obamacare is a big problem. He tweets different things about, oh, hell, Obamacare is a disaster. And then, you know, a lot of conservatives are now happier with him because he did hint to supporting Cruz and saying, well, maybe we should just do repeal. But where's the leadership? Where is the office, the the White House Office of, of Legislative Affairs and, you know, HHS dudes and the healthcare dudes, um, domestic policy council. 
Where are they calling in all the congressional leaders and saying, this is the White House position. This is what we're going to push for. This is what Trump is going to give a series of speeches on. Give an op-ed in the write an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal and lay out your vision. No, the only Wall Street Journal op-ed was Ivanka promoting a new entitlement. You know, it just it's just hard for me to overlook that. It's just words. It's just rhetoric. It's some of it is good rhetoric. It's, it's rhetoric we haven't heard even from so, some so-called conservatives. I, I understand why people have rallied around him, but I mean, when are we going to wake up to his shtick? I mean, I'm not seeing the shared family values. I'm not seeing a values agenda. I'm not seeing a national security, homeland security, immigration. Um, anti-Islamic agenda that's consistent. You know, foreign policy, um, when I d- dug up that quote about action and words from the inaugural address, I was noticing all the stuff he said. Um, you know, let me let me just try as we're, as we're talking here. I just want to get this in front of me, the Trump inaugural address. And there were a lot of things he said in there. It just knocks my socks off. And he says, you know, for too long, we've been defending other people's borders, building their roads. I mean, that's what we're doing now in Syria. They were very clear at this NSC off the record meeting. Their goal is to defeat ISIS. Now, don't ask. So then why are you every week? They have more airstrikes against Assad and the Hezbollah factions, which I don't have a problem with. But, you know, they're fighting ISIS and, you know, like I always said, there's no good outcome there, and and we're helping some of those same militias in Iraq. I mean, what, to what end? That is the if you, that is the central problem with people like McMaster, and that's antithetical to Trump's address. They don't believe it's a clash of civilization. They believe Islamic civilization is 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 great. They believe the problem is ISIS. I got news for you. ISIS was only around for a few years, and ISIS is on the decline. In many respects, al-Nusra is a bigger force in in Syria now. The caliphate's on a decline, but what are you going to fill that vacuum with? I'm not not suggesting we we need to keep ISIS. I'm just saying, just don't do anything. Let them all fight each other. You know, there, there was a time a couple of years ago, some people were like, oh, Daniel, I, I understand what you're saying, not getting involved in civil wars, but but this they're really a problem. We got to get rid of them. Um, even if you could have made that case a couple of years ago, I mean, now they're really on the decline. So in terms of the balance of power, um, you're just going to be helping bigger problems. Now, you might say ISIS is a threat in ter- terms of their, their uh, you know, diaspora, but that 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 genie is out of the bottle already i mean we could literally wipe every isis fighter off the face of the map drop a bomb on raqqa um and i mean the 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 problem in america and europe is not going to end now they're not going to say oh the caliphate's over no more jihad in the diaspora no more attacks on america france england yada 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 i mean that that that's not going to go back until we stop with immigration we we you know throw these people out um you know clamp down on treason Obviously, strip any terrorist of citizenship and, uh, you know, start clamping down on the Muslim Brotherhood and those that engage in a subversion agenda. We're either at war or we're not. But we're not doing that. Instead, we are getting involved in nation building. I mean, and then and then to move to domestic policy. Very frustrating. I have an article out about ethanol. Ethanol is the Obamacare of energy. I mean, there is no – ethanol is a pet peeve of mine for 
for over a decade now. It was one of my first issues that really got me excited. There is no greater issue that affects the bread and butter of you know, middle-class consumers than, than this issue of ethanol. Rate, using the boot of government to mandate that you use a private product that is a piece of garbage that raises the cost of food and fuel, the most vital products, all to enrich cronies. I mean, that is a beautiful populist issue, a beautiful populist issue to campaign on. And, and when I say populist, I don't mean garbage populism. I mean free market populism. But no, Trump's EPA just set the target biofuels mixtures for next year that the refineries have to blend in yada yada amount of whatever, 16 million gallons. I mean, they, they, they didn't lower it at all from the Obama era. And they have that discretion on their statute. What happened to the forgotten men and women? What happened to the beginning of his inaugural address when he said for too long a small group in our nation's capital has reaped the rewards of government while the people have borne the cost? Washington flourished, but the, flourished, but the people did not share its wealth. Politicians prospered, but the jobs left and the factories closed. The establishment protected itself, but not the citizenry of our country. Their victories have not been your victories. I mean, this is ethanol. I mean, you want to lower gas prices. Trump promised to lower gas prices even further. They're, they're relatively low now because of the shale fracking boom. But, um, you know, he promised a lot. What better way than by, by getting rid of the ethanol mandate? He should at least advocate that Congress abolish it. And, and this is something that there's somewhat a bipartisan support for. This is a very easy issue. This is an issue to, to hang on the necks of Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren. You want to talk about the big guy versus the little guy? All to enrich a couple of, of lobbies to put garbage in your engine? Beautiful, beautiful issue. I mean, this this is this is you want to talk about populism. This is real populism. And, and this is what frustrates me. You know, I, I saw an article from Axios, new new outlet, and I know they're established, but they're actually very good. Um, they, they're on the money with their inside reporting on the administration on the on Capitol Hill. They have impeccable sources. I mean, I'm not a fan of Mike Allen, but I'm just saying when they leaked the details of the health care bill, they got it on the money. I, I've noticed that. I mean, it's, it tracks closely with what I hear. Um, but anyway, um, they had an article that Bannon's out of the doghouse. He's back in the graces of Trump. And I was worried about this. Remember, I, I heard a line. I, I said this a couple minutes ago, but I, I heard a line from friend from from a friend that he's noticed that everyone in the administration is either bought out, and all the good guys are marginalized, or they don't want to be marginalized. And my concern of Bannon is, as you know, you know Bannon's not a constitutional conservative, whatever you call this populist nationalist business. But you know, it overlaps with us in a lot of things theoretically. And then it doesn't on other things. And I predicted what he's going to do is give us all the progress. See, populism is a tool. It's not a. It's not a ideology as an end to itself. Populism is a tool, right? It's a tool in the sense that you, you know, like, oh, I'm for the little guy, and you rail against the elite powers and everything. Now, there's you could do that constitutional free market populism, or you could do. Elizabeth Warren progressive populism like Bernie Sanders. Oh, tax the rich. 
So I predicted that we're going to get all of the progressive parts of populism, but we're not going to get the good parts on immigration, on Islam, you know, stuff like that. And and lo and behold, we're seeing that. He's awfully quiet on that. He's pushing the trade stuff. He's pushing taxes on the rich, the infrastructure porculus instead of devolving that to the states. So that that's what this article told me. He's back in the good graces. And that's, you know, by pushing progressive stuff because he knows that will overlap with the poobahs in the administration. Whereas the conservative stuff doesn't resonate. But ethanol is a beautiful issue. That's an example of conservative free market populism. Perfect issue. It's it's just so disappointing. I mean, do you know how bad ethanol is? I'll, I'll link to my article, but I, I reference it a little bit. I'll tell you a little bit more. In 2015, my buddy Ron DeSantis, congressman from Florida, Daytona Beach area, um, he told me that he tried to introduce an amendment to a pending bill, and there's there's a rule called rule called PAYGO, um, pay as you go. There's you know budgetary constraints on any amendment if it's structured as an amendment that it, it can't add to the bud to the budget deficit, um, or you know, otherwise you'd have to waive it. And rules committee obviously didn't want his amendments, so they wouldn't waive it. So his amendment was to abolish the ethanol mandate, the requirement that private enter- enterprise blend garbage and make 10% of the fuel absolute crap um, and and force people to buy it and give them absolutely no choice but to purchase that. Do you know what CBO told him, Congressional Budget Office? It is so obvious, it is so known that ethanol is such garbage that it varnishes and dilutes, adulterates the gasoline that you can't do this because it violates PAYGO because it's going to add to the deficit. Now, you might be what? How does it add to the deficit? It adds to the deficit because there's less tax revenue. There's less tax revenue because there's less people paying gas tax. There's less people paying gas tax because if you had, if you were talking about abolishing the ethanol mandate, you had the ability to get 100% fuel instead of 10% garbage. Guess what? It's more, it's more efficient. It's better fuel. People fill up their tanks less, and therefore, not only does the consumer save money, you know, in in the in the price of the good, but they also save money on not having to pay more taxes because the more you fill up, the more federal and state you know gas taxes you have to pay, and the less gas taxes you pay, the less revenue they get. So they actually, this wasn't just a theory; they directly scored it as a revenue loss. So could you could you imagine that that we have a system in place? There's no greater tyranny. There's no greater violation of property rights of the social compact, the the purpose of government, to force an individual and an industry to purchase a private product that is so horrendous that that it that it shafts consumers and makes them come back to the pump more so they could pay more taxes. This is a beautiful issue. I can't think of a better way to illustrate to people how odious government intervention is and how it but not in an abstract, principled way that a lot of people don't get, free markets, constitution, but in a real way that could show them how much more you're paying for food and fuel because then it drives up the cost of food because you're taking 40% of all corn grown in the country and throwing it into your engine. But no, Trump was out in Iowa a month ago and he said the ethanol business is under siege and he's going to protect them. I mean, that's antithetical to every freaking word of that inaugural address. Much like what McMaster and Tillerson are doing is antithetical 
to everything this man said in his inaugural, in his, in his uh, Poland speech in, in Warsaw. And more and more, we're seeing on a number of issues where the actions are completely divorced from, from the rhetoric. Now, as it relates to the ethanol mandate, to be fair, Trump was always, you know, bad on that issue, dating back to the Iowa caucuses. So it's nothing that we didn't know. Uh, but I, I still think I have a right to call BS on inconsistency in general. I mean, he's been inconsistent from day one with his so-called populist message. Um, you know, again, if, 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 if there's enough of a populist message to say, oh, we need to subsidize or tax the rich or whatever. Well, then, I mean, to, to tax consumers in order to hand the money to ethanol farmers is a, is a pretty, pretty inconsistent scheme. But the most serious issue is Obamacare. And we're just about out of time here. We'll have more updates throughout the week. But the, the party has given up on repealing it. I mean, that that. Well, actually, they've given up on fake repeal now. They they gave up on, on full repeal a long time ago. Um, now they're just giving up on fake repeal because they realize what we've been warning is that you can't half-ass this. And if you try to do what you're going to do, it's actually even worse. Uh, and, and, and this is where we are. Now, some defenders of the president are trying to matter-of-factly tell me, oh, well, you shouldn't have expected more from him because uh, he praised single payer. You know, it, it kind of like what we're saying with ethanol. He was always bad on it. But it's not true. It is not true. Um, during the campaign, Trump submitted a blueprint that contained many of the reforms from our twenty, you know, top twenty wish list of items. Um, it, it was it was all free market. He, there was no subsidization there. He made it very clear that everything begins with full repeal of Obamacare. I'm actually looking at that blueprint that he had on the campaign website, and it said very clear, none of these positive reforms can be accomplished without Obamacare repeal. On day one of the Trump administration, we will ask Congress to immediately deliver a full repeal of Obamacare. Now, some might say, oh, well, he did that. Congress just didn't send it to him. That's not true. Trump Trump uh, said the House bill was too conservative and he had to you know make even more government run health care. And when conservatives in the House wanted to fulfill this promise and not even full repeal, but about half repeal, he called out Meadows and the Freedom Caucus, if you remember. So, I mean, that's a clear violation. Again, the tweets and, and the rhetoric don't match up to, to what he said he was going to do. Um, and by the way, on his campaign website. So a lot of people say, okay, well, Daniel, but Trump did say he wanted to keep the pre-existing condition thing, and Trump was just confused by that and didn't realize that that's the whole enchilada. On his campaign website on the issue position statements, Trump made it clear that full repeal coupled with expanded HSAs and high-risk pools is the way to deal with the chronically ill. I mean, he, he said our position, not fully maintaining the Obamacare exchanges, regulations, and subsidies. It's on the GOP platform as well. So... The point is, we need an office within the White House to convert Trump's rhetoric and tweets into policy outcomes. Then we'd be in full, uh, (laughs) this would be an amazing presidency. We'll have more on all this stuff as the week heats up, as Congress comes back into session, um, and, and as the executive branch is always in session. And what the personnel is actually doing in the executive branch matters more than what he says either in a foreign policy speech, in a campaign rally, a quasi-campaign rally while he's president. Like Trump told us, like Trump promised us during his inaugural address, we will no longer accept politicians who are all talk and no action, constantly complaining but never doing anything about it. The time for empty talk is over. Now arrives the hour of action. 
Let's hold them to it. Until then, please support our sponsors, Patriot Supply. Go to preparewithcr.com, preparewithcr.com. Get your 140 meals for just 99 bucks, have ready made. And look, you know, if the ethanol mandate driving up the cost of food is just the beginning of it, just so you know. Like we're seeing with healthcare, you never win back more freedom. It only clamps down there, you know, more more there thereafter. And gosh, as it relates to energy, who knows what mandates they'll come up with. So get your food while you have it now so you can have it prepared at any time. Ready-made meals, pop in the microwave, 99 bucks. Also, promo code Horowitz for your annual subscription to CRTV, the only sane TV that you will find as it relates to politics. God bless y'all. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in full force later this week. Oh,